I want to talk today about the contrast between myths that are widely believed by the public at large and what I regard as a reality which typically contradicts those myths. And welcome to the latest episode of OK, Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong. Uh, today's topic has been one I've uh, been asked about uh, quite a few times and uh, haven't done an episode on yet because my understanding of it is a little shaky. So uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, cryptocurrency, uh, specifically Bitcoin. And uh, to help me... Uh, illuminate the topic. I've uh, brought in a guest who's got uh, a much better working knowledge of Bitcoin than I do, uh, Brendan Newell. Uh, welcome to the show, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Uh, real quick, uh, for the audience's sake, a uh, little bit of your background uh, and uh, you know experience in, uh, in the topic. Yeah, sure. So, I met you mm-hmm. at DePaul, yep. where we got our economics masters together. Uh, DePaul's been great for uh, mining uh, guests from. <laughs> and I also am getting my degree in applied mathematics. It'll be done in June. I'm also working for a bank where I do credit risk analysis. Nice. And on top of that, I got my cryptocurrency experience because I was really interested in topics since the start. Since about 2014, mm-hmm. um, my undergraduate thesis was in cryptocurrency nice. and um, my graduate working paper right now is in cryptocurrency so and again that's that's exactly why why we need to have you on as a guest and on yeah on top of that you know i'm a typical investor mm-hmm. um i also just very opinionated person so well I, I, hey uh, this, this the name of the podcast is let me tell you why you're wrong yeah. so <laughs> it's a perfect place for you so yeah like, like i say i think you know bitcoin's one of those things that uh most people out there have heard of, uh, and almost none of them could tell you what it is. Uh, they, they, they seem to understand that it is, or at least was until very recently, very valuable. Uh, but uh, I think if you ask 
the average person walking around in the street. They, they couldn't give you an explanation of what Bitcoin is. Again, I'm sitting here uh, with a master's degree in economics and I struggle to explain exactly what Bitcoin is. So I guess let's start off with the basics of what is a cryptocurrency? So a cryptocurrency, in essence, is starting to, it, it started off with a lot more basic of a definition, a digital currency that used some sort of crypto, cryptography to um, basically strengthen up the surrounding transactions on their respective networks. But um, it's gotten a lot more vague because of the fact that we've been seeing a lot of movement into the market with stuff like ICOs, mm. which are initial coin offerings, and a lot of other issues. But in essence, it's a, it's a currency, which we will get into probably later. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's completely digital. And within all of these cryptocurrencies, there's some sort of encryption um, encry- encryption technology embedded into the underlying software. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's a product that's being artificially created, yes. but, but can be used in, in, the, in, I guess, as a medium of exchange. We'll go, yes. we'll go to economic terms there. Yeah. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's being created by people getting on and, and uh, engaging in, in what's, uh, what's called a blockchain. Yep. Or, uh, which we'll, we'll get into the definition of that. But that essentially creates, I guess, as a reward, this currency, which yep. can then be used and spent and transferred just like any other currency. Yeah, exactly. And um, touching point on the idea that anybody can create it. Um, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin network was, the patent is to three Germans, mm. um, and the white paper was created by somebody completely anonymous, and um, Satoshi Nakamoto, so. And well, actually, yeah, going to, uh, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's hit a few of the, the key terms, and then we'll get into kind of the history of, of Bitcoin. So, sure. as I mentioned, you know, the, the I guess the, the core uh, structure of of bit Bitcoin specifically, but I think I mean, most cryptocurrencies generally is is called a blockchain, yeah. which again I think is another term most people have heard. Nobody really knows what it means. Uh, so what is a blockchain? So I guess a blockchain is essentially um, it's a chain of uh, it's a very simple chain of blocks. Now let's. That's joking, but so the the way so I think just I want to instead of giving you a straight up definition, I want to kind of do it like a story mm-hmm. or kind right. of explain it from the start to the finish. Yeah, no problem. And so realistically, um, we let's start off with an individual that wants to exchange on the Bitcoin network. Right. Creates a wallet. It's idiosyncratic to himself with a serial. Let's say a serial number. It's like an account. Yes. And we have bitcoins that are in circulation that have their own idiosyncratic serial number. And we want to basically exchange them for purposes of currency, meaning exchange. Um, We then see that these, um, the, the way the bitcoin network works is that individuals will We'll have a, basically a bunch of transactions that are building on top of each other, 
and when A interacts with B and exchanges a Bitcoin, that's a transaction's created, mm-hmm. and these a bunch of information like the two addresses that are exchanging Bitcoin, the amount of Bitcoin exchange, and the specific Bitcoin like Bitcoin one versus Bitcoin two that yeah. are exchanged, are packaged into basically like this like signature of verification of a transaction, mm-hmm. and these are packaged into something called a hash. And a hash is just basically a very fancy thing that's used in cryptography that makes uh, that summarizes a, a select set of information into a long string of like unreadable character lists, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where the security comes in the Bitcoin network, and um, to a degree. And there's other aspects, but um, then on top of that, those hashes are then kind of brought into this group, uh, this pool of unverified transactions, and the process Bitcoin mining, which we'll get into a little bit more later, verifies these transactions, but at at a given time, like the underlying algorithm on Bitcoin, it determines how much of these hashes and what timestamps to group them together and then package them in a block. Okay. And so that's basically what a block is. It's a large pool of verified Bitcoin transactions that are in packaged into hashes. Okay. And the reason why blocks are so important is because the the Bitcoin network, or I mean the Bitcoin algorithm, determines when a block is created and the whole way it's set up is that it gets more complex and complex and complex. Mm. Um, and we can get into that later then. <laughs> but uh, after each block is packaged and finished, it is then it then awards Bitcoin to the miners who verified those transactions that went into that block. Okay, so and, and that transitions then into, again, another term that we, that we hear very often associated with Bitcoin, which is Bitcoin mining. Um, what what exactly again keeping with with your your analogy of uh, you're someone who wants to get into this whole bitcoin racket and you want to become a bitcoin miner what is it what exactly does that involve so bitcoin mining is basically the process of using your computing power whichever whatever you may have to help the network verify these packages of transactions and you are then awarded a certain amount of Bitcoin dependent upon how much computer computational power you gave to those to that current package. Mm-hmm. And so let's say we have 10 people working on verifying the current block. The current block gives out, for example, one Bitcoin. If you gave, if 10% of the computer power needed to verify those transactions, came from your computer, you're going to receive one-tenth of that Bitcoin that's allotted to all the 10 people. Ah, and that goes into your wallet, and yes. then you can... Use it for pizza, yeah. or... Use and, it as a yeah, medium of Yes, pizza. exactly, exactly. Uh, so then, yeah, the, the actual... You, you said using computing power. Now, is this something that, that if, if I'm going to become a Bitcoin miner, do I need to sit and actively be, like... You know, Hollywood style. You know, yeah. rocking three different keyboards with with you know five different monitors. You know, actually doing something, or am I just letting a system run on my computer? 
No, it's basically downloading software and letting the system run on your computer. Okay, so, you, I mean, really, you're just kind of offering uh, uh, part of your computing power on your laptop, on your, you know, whatever, to be doing this in the background. And at, at a certain point, it, it completes the, I guess, what, the blockchain, and you get your, your reward for however much of the processing power what you were offering up basically very simple all right very so, simple in that sense I so mean, yeah then you know at the end of that new new bitcoins are created and uh are re- rewarded to the the miner so i guess that takes us then to uh the bitcoin protocol which I, I, becomes the kind of overarching idea behind all this so um just from my research, uh, the, the reward you get from, from completing a block, it gets cut in half every 210,000 blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the implications of that is that Bitcoin becomes finite. Yes. At a certain point, the reward will hit zero. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, um, I, it's, yeah, it, I guess that eventually comes down to, and this is one of my questions is, like um, behind every computer, there's a certain amount of decimals or, mm-hmm. or digits that you can take in a in a given. I think it's fifty two, mm-hmm. and what, that goes into like a whole new realm of numerical analysis. <laughs> but uh, yeah, eventually, it, like let's say, assume that it becomes generally accepted by everybody. It, there would be eventually a situation in which it would like it's realistically. Um, completely uh, infinitely divisible mm. but just from a basic computer standpoint like how like uh, on a specific, just a digit basis like what what can our computer handle um and on top of that um it it does become just a diminishing returns issue that causes which we'll talk about later a lot of volatility <laughs> a lot of uh a lot, a lot of supply issues, and yeah. Well, I mean, the, I think what the estimate is that there, there, the the artificial limit that's created it's by twenty one million bitcoin, yeah, twenty one million bitcoins, in all practicality. Because again, you're right. When we're talking about the the realm of advanced mathematics, you can just keep having something and never hit zero. Yeah. Uh, but I, I. I, I think the assumption behind the 21 million is that on the practical level either the computer can no longer handle a number that uh, a fraction that small or it just why would i offer up you know x amount of processing power to get one millionth or millionth one gajillion you know what this this massively fractional piece of a bitcoin yeah um so yeah, I think the the estimate I saw was that they should hit that point where, again, for all intents and purposes, a bitcoin or the number of bitcoins rewarded is zero, even though it's not, but practically it is around uh, the year twenty one forty. So still got a while. <laughs> That's <laughs> there's still potential life for Bitcoin beyond yeah the the very hard and fast supply issues that are likely gonna become a thing there are a lot of other issues before that that will impede the network's ability to function properly and so so again i I think those those are the big terms that that most people hear and 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 
don't quite understand. So we had mentioned the the, yeah, the creation of Bitcoin and, and its its history. So you know, walk us through kind of where did Bitcoin start? Why did it start? Like, you know, what was the point of this whole thing? Yeah, sure. So Bitcoin is completely the the initi- the, the creation of Bitcoin is completely surrounded in mystery. Um, as a matter so for those of you who want to learn more about Bitcoin, um, the original creation of Bitcoin started with a white paper by an anonymous figure named Satoshi Nakamoto. And um, you can just Google Satoshi Nakamoto uh, and Nakamoto's N-A-K-A-M-O-T-O. Mm-hmm. And you just Google white paper and it's a 15 page document and it basically runs through how Bitcoin works. And uh, it's, it's a little bit high level. Mm-hmm. Um, probably requires an advanced degree in probably computer science to understand immediately. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you Google in, uh, some of the definitions, read it once or twice, maybe three times. It took, I, I've had to reread it multiple times. Um, you get the hang of it. And realistically, after that, you know practically all blockchain technology because a lot of these coins, the only difference between Bitcoin and something like Ethereum or Monero is a small shrivel of that underlying technology that's mm. established by the Nakamoto paper. Um, like, for example, with Ethereum, instead of exchanging, instead of having a medium exchange like a currency, the only difference is that that signature between two people and the exchange is that there's a con- underlying contract, or like more of a specifically laid out exchange. Mm. So. Monero, the only difference is that instead of addresses being published, there's no addresses being published, so it's completely anonymous. Um, very just small perturbations in the underlying technology. But uh, so 2008, the paper's established. Um, it's not getting a lot of transaction, or not getting a lot of, I guess, notoriety um, until about 2013, mm-hmm. when the first major Bitcoin run-up kind of starts to occur. Um, and that's when we start seeing Bitcoin. Um, it, I think it maxed out around $1,100. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw then the first bubble crash. Um, and that kind of, the issue there was that people thought Bitcoin, they were overestimating its security. And we saw that a lot of these servers that were housing Bitcoin transactions were very vulnerable mm-hmm. because they were in infant stages. And Mt. Gox got robbed, basically, <laughs> by hackers for a certain amount of Bitcoin. I think it was in the tens of millions of dollars. Mm. And uh, it caused, basically, it was one of the major impetuses to the first Bitcoin price crash. Um, and so that led Bitcoin from 1100 to 200 about. And for about four years, three years, Bitcoin was kind of still very low radar. There was some off news stories like Cyprus liquidity issues mm-hmm. um, that that where people were using Bitcoin and Cyprus to get all their money out and stuff like that and then there's there was a Silk Road where um, people were, I mean Bitcoin got its predominant start through um, through cri- cri- criminality yeah. I mean um, there initially there was no reason to use Bitcoin outside of unless you didn't want to be tracked as easily mm-hmm. and so that's kind of where you see as you said the cartels got started and then a lot of the drug trade online was being run through 
and well that I mean that stems from you know and we had talked you know before we started recording that Bitcoin's a technology and technology by itself is not inherently good or evil yeah. it just is it, it is a thing we as human beings and how we decide to use that technology <laughs> is where you get into ideas of of you know the the virtue of something versus the potential criminality of something and you know here you've got uh, a, a well not entirely and and we can get into some specific cases of that but predominantly secure medium of exchange uh, yes it can be cracked it's incredibly hard to do the, the underlying algorithm can only be cracked if the majority of the miners on the network are working in collusion together really? so the, the way that works is um, so each, each person that has that is mining Bitcoin actively they have to maintain a general ledger of sorts or the Bitcoin ledger mm -hmm. and so if the, it is possible that if for example and, and all the packaging um, the computational power so just as much as the computational power can be used to work forward um, realistically the computational power can be used to work backward mm -hmm. so if you wanted to you know create a, a fraud on a massive scale you would you would need all you need some computational power to negate the computational power of the computers moving forward mm -hmm. and then the leftover would be working backward to unverify and then uh, then recreate a transaction chain that would you know be fraudulent in nature and well, well of course the the inherent security in that system is that as long as the the, the blockchain is moving forward fast enough yeah it becomes uh, again not impossible but but in high unreasonably realistic yeah, uh, unrealistic to to then yeah. not only uh, push enough. To, to halt the progress, but then to go Reverse. backwards down the chain to, you know, to, I guess, unspool this to a point where you can engage in, in fraud. Yeah. Uh, which, again, is an impressive technological feat that has, beyond just the, the creation and the market of Bitcoin, has a lot of interesting implications for any sort of internet-based, you know, security, where... Again, it's a system that keeps making itself more and more secure just yeah. by virtue of its existence. Yeah. And eventually it forms Skynet and kills us all. <laughs> but we got a while until that, at least until 20, 2140, <laughs> until the, the Terminator robots come. So I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Um, so, but, you know, when you get into that issue of security... And, and this is less specific and more just kind of a, a philosophical thing. You know, my personal uh, hesitance with, with anything like this always comes down to, again, on the broad philosophical level, all you're talking about is ones and zeros. And when that's all it is, some other combination of ones and zeros can crack it. Yeah. Um, again, with Bitcoin, it becomes very unlikely uh, in fact, day by day, it becomes even more and more difficult to do that. But it is still just, you know, again, ones and zeros floating around out there. Um, but again, it, it, like I say, it's it, you know, it, it winds up being a very impressive system. Now, the 
I think the the market for bitcoins that have spa- has spawned out of it. I guess. Do you think that that what Bitcoin is today was part of the original intent of Nakamoto, or is this is this a, a, a strange evolution? Um, I would definitely say that the general widespread acceptance was probably a hope. Mm. Um, but then I think the speculatory, the speculative nature of Bitcoin as of right now is probably not what was envisioned mm. because we, we have this issue of is Bitcoin a currency or a commodity? And, and that, that be, winds up becoming a huge question surrounding a lot of aspects of Bitcoin. And specu- I mean, um, speculation would indicate that there is a commodity-like property of it to mm-hmm. a degree. But um, I just saw this gr- chart the other day. And if you, if, you Google, if you go on Google Trends and you look at the chart for buying Bitcoin on credit card, um, you see that in the past four months it has been skyrocketing. Hmm. I and that implies that you are expecting Bitcoin to increase by more than the your credit card's rate mm-hmm. on interest um, ad infinitum, or at least until you cancel the trade. And expecting that doesn't crash and stuff like <laughs> that. And it's become. I think the speculative nature is probably was definitely not envisioned and. I think it's just another outlet for, you know, at this point, to a degree, some people are looking at it as another gambling outlet, um, or it's, it's another bubble. And uh, well, yeah. well, and again, I think that that unintended consequence and, and the, what it's resulted in now really forms, uh, I think for the average person, the, the, core, the core debate over what not not just what bitcoin is but what is what does its future look like and and what is its value in the general marketplace is again like like you said is it a is it a currency uh which it certainly has a lot of aspects of or is it a commodity or what was it a currency and it became a commodity and and by through the commoditization of it it's now turned into something completely different than, than what it originally was. And, you know, as with most topics on this show, I don't know if we're going to land on a, 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 a solid answer for that, but the, the debate is certainly worth having of, of again, really, what is this thing? Because you're, you're right, it shows, it shows some aspects that, that would fall under the definition of currency not completely and not totally and we can get into that but then with with the speculate you know it it also shows a lot of elements of being a commodity yeah i mean it i think you said it best in the sense that it depends Mm -hmm. um if you because i mean realistically i i think that financial markets have become so integrated and advanced that the 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 idea of a currency or commodity have colluded or have kind of been interwoven together mm-hmm. because um, the way I look at a commodity and you know there's millions of definitions for commodities and currencies is that commodity is some sort of financial asset or a, a something that is somewhat beneficial to somebody so I mean like when like when I think of commodity I think of like agricultural products yeah. that are used to feed us 
um, oil, gold, blah, blah, blah. I, I think we all go back to the explanation of commodities given in the movie Trading Places. We are commodities brokers, William. Now, what are commodities? Commodities are agricultural products, like coffee that you had for breakfast, wheat, which is used to make bread, pork bellies, which is used to make bacon, which you might find in a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich. And then there are other commodities, like frozen orange juice and gold. Though, of course, gold doesn't grow on trees like oranges. <laughs> Clear so far? Yeah. Good, William. Now, uh, some of our clients are speculating that the price of gold will rise in the future, and we have other clients who are speculating that the price of gold is going to fall. Uh, they place their orders with us, and we buy or sell their gold for them. Tell them the good part. <laughs> uh, the good part, William, is that uh, no matter whether our clients make money or lose money, the Duke and Duke get the commissions. Well, what do you think, Valentine? Well, it sounds to me like you guys are a couple of bookies. <laughs> I told you he'd understand. <laughs> uh, if you've never seen that, it, it, it's it's a funny scene, but it actually does explain what commodities are. And um, so, on top of that, though, you can look at currencies nowadays and some there some for some aspects we use as financial assets um mm. like you have a lot of currency traders that are, have a general expectation of returns which would make it a financial asset well to agree. and and i guess yeah with the with with the idea of for for people who look at bitcoin I guess kind of down their noses at Bitcoin and say, well, no, that's it's it's an it's something else. It's an other. I mean, you can flip that on them and say, you know, with the potential for arbitrage in the, you know, where where if you can find that that you know crack of sunlight in in the uh, changes in valuation of currencies, you can profit by just exchanging one currency for another and then exchanging it back or you know however you're doing it. So is currency, you know, uh, government-backed currency even, you could ask the same question, you, we are a Bitcoin, which, it, well, is it a currency or is it a commodity? Yeah. Uh, and, or at the very least say, well, no, it is a currency, we, we know that, yeah. uh, but it can be commoditized mm -hmm. in the same way Bitcoin can be commoditized. So there's not as much difference as I think some people would like between exactly. the... The, the, the money that sits in our wallets isn't that different from, from Bitcoin. Because, you know, I mean, Bitcoin has had somewhat of a use as a currency, kind of on the outskirts, mm. but, and, and, you know, not as realistic as, you know, exchanging dollars, but if you look at um, th this company called Ripple, mm. which is another cryptocurrency, and it's, as a matter of fact, at the height of the run-up, um, because obviously a lot of these cryptocurrencies are very correlated in returns to each other. Yeah. But the owner of Ripple, um, he actually became like the second or third richest guy in the country for a second there. <laughs> um, 
And uh, the but that was the, a very good day for him, followed he, by a very bad day for him. And as a matter of fact, um, the 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 owner of Tron, um, or the guy that started it, became a billionaire because <laughs> he cashed out at the perfect time. But that's that's a whole another topic. But uh, the, back to Ripple. Ripple um, is a company that uses blockchain technology that that has a network of community banks and banks that are making transa- international transactions a lot more efficient because the way the way that international transactions are set up right now there's a lot of intermediaries it's a very ugly process mm. with a lot of fat in the middle where like currency people that are like, like who those currency counters you see across the world they're they're taking a pretty hefty mar- uh, cut yeah. um but by R being the exchange differentials. And um, you see that because of that a lot of fat, there's ideas like Ripple that are coming up that actually do have somewhat of a value by kind of cutting out the exchange inefficiencies you see in, cur- in traditional currency markets. Well, and, and I think that's something that, I, uh, depending on who you're talking to, I think either doesn't get brought up enough or get brought up, gets, gets brought up way too much. Is again these the the kind of benevolent aspects of cryptocurrency. I think again we see right now in the spotlight when it comes to cryptocurrency are the speculators who are, are trying to trade it and sell it and and get into the market and get out of the market as quickly as possible and make their money and, and you know it, it you know kind of puts a little bit of a stink on the whole idea. But there is the potential for for at least the whether Bitcoin specifically or just cryptocurrencies generally, to be really helpful to a lot of parts of the world that are underserviced by by financial institutions, mm-hmm. uh, because again, it is this kind of seamless medium of exchange. You can you can have your bitcoins in in, in your Bitcoin wallet, go into you know the the. Uh, really any developing country and as long as you can get an internet connection you can theoretically anyway exchange bitcoins oh yeah no um it with a smartphone you download the coinbase app set up your wallet it takes 10 10 15 minutes nowadays and really you know again that winds up in concept anyway being very similar to just the the movement towards digital banking generally the, the, the fact that, again, I can go down the, down the block to Starbucks and get a coffee having at no point exchanged actual dollars. It's a swipe of my credit card. It's a tap with my phone. It's, it, I, it's not all that different than, again, a digital cryptocurrency. It's at least in concept the same. Now, again, I'm still exchanging dollars for dollars, so it is different, but... That idea, I, I think we in, in the U.S. And, and the developed world take that for granted, that you can just do that. Again, I can walk into any store. They'll accept cash. They'll accept debit cards. They'll accept credit cards. They'll accept Vimo, MyPay, all this stuff. Uh, I can always buy what I want to buy so long as I have the money. Not always the case everywhere. And I think that, uh, as a matter of fact... Um it's very painful like because 
what when you actually do have to encounter that because there are like for example some cash only restaurants there's one right down the block and it kills me every time i have to go walk out my way to go to the atm it's granted only a minute but still it's these little one percent incremental increases that dress that have drastic effects oh yeah well and i I know anytime i'm in uh, any store that winds up being cash only i i i I kind of upset one of the store owners a while back when you know i I bring my stuff up to the counter and he uh rings it up and it was like yeah 70 bucks and uh I pull out my debit card and he looks at me and he's like, oh no, it's cash only. And my comment to him, I'm like, what is this, a lemonade stand? <laughs> like, you're a, you're a store. Yeah. Why, like, I fortunately I had the cash on me, but if I hadn't, he just lost a sale. Like, yeah. I'm just going to walk out. Yeah. Uh, like, okay, sorry, man. You know, you don't want to pay the, the, the mild premium for having a, a, a debit card reader, but you just lost money. Uh, and yeah, it is. It's weird. For, uh, that's fine for us. Like, really, those those kind of places in the U.S. are an oddity, uh, where you yeah you can't you need cash. But again, if you go into any of the developing world, again, you're gonna find places that you know you you either need cash or. Depending on where you go, they're accepting different currencies, and, and there isn't that kind of fluidity to the medium of exchange. And something like Bitcoin could theoretically be incredibly helpful to, to transferring money and exchanging in areas like that. Yeah, I mean, it's the first attempt at being an international worldwide currency that has had a threat of relative success mm. and you're right it's opened the floodgates the pandora's box of cryptocurrency and and i think you know as we as we go forward and we'll get into recent events involving bitcoin and its its valuation but even if bitcoin doesn't survive i i don't think you can put the cryptocurrency genie back in the bottle it's too good of an idea it, it has too many potential benefits Despite all of its potential downsides, to to just be eliminated. And yeah, it may take a different form, it may take a different name. It you know it, it may only be used in certain transactions, but like I, the idea is, is oh the technology here. is here and it's not going away. And what I was surprised of is how fast banks are actually incorporating it because um, one of the big benefits of blockchain technology is the efficiency of transactions and how they're verified mm. and the speed of the underlying network and what we're seeing is a lot of banks adopting blockchain technology to essentially to essentially like increase the transaction verifications on trading settlements mm. in typical financial markets because as of right now it's three days for most retail stock transactions mm. and which is incredibly long yeah. for an incredibly integrated and in advanced financial market like that's that's insane but um, yeah hopefully the more blockchain technology is accepted and the more these fintech companies are promoting it to banks it's probably I mean it's definitely I would say it's here to stay easily mm. so I mean you know that that resides on I guess the, the currency side of cryptocurrency 
shifting back for a minute to the to the commodity side of it, or at least that aspect, talk a little bit about valuation. So you know, again, a uh, a U.S. dollar or a euro is worth what it's worth because of you know the the supply control from the the central banks from the you know the, the Federal Reserve in the case of the U.S. and uh, you know by by having some control over the, the the amount of money in the market, you can stabilize the value. How is that done with Bitcoin? Or I, I guess really more broadly, how how do we know how many dollars a Bitcoin is worth? So, I mean, just like any f- financial asset as of right now, Bitcoin is essentially controlled by how much people think it's worth. Now, I would so we if we look at it from like an, a very economics one on one standpoint. Um, we just discussed that the supply is when it comes to like the diminish the, the returns mm-hmm. of the Bitcoin mining process we're at a very late stage and starting to get to a very late stage um, because the, the, the graph of like how bitcoins are distributed is, you know halved every X amount of blocks um, we're very far along that scale a lot farther than people think and the amount of bitcoins being distributed um, I think there's from the last figures I heard, and don't quote me on this, mm. but it's more than more than seventeen million Bitcoin out in the network right out now. Out of what is out ten, of twenty one million. Twenty one million being the the, the max. And so if that's... you and if you look at like the, 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 the graph of Bitcoin supply, it's kind of like X to the one half power. So mm. it starts off with very fast returns and it caves very quickly. And uh we're starting to really hit that kind mm. of last chain of just no incremental increases. So as of right now, supply is getting more and more fixed. Okay. Um, so realistically, we can, for reasonable, for rash, for just sake of argument, we can assume that supply is getting fixed and is practically fixed. So then the question is completely demand-oriented. Mm. Um, which, which then leads us into... Uh, everyone's favorite uh, member of the investment community, the speculators. Yes. Uh, whether whether you are investing in stocks or old comic books, speculators like to ruin everything for everybody. And they and it has been a fantastic job done with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that Bitcoin this year. It started off. It you know it's it's had an up it. At its peak, it was around an eighteen hundred to nineteen hundred percent increase on nineteen hundred percent increase on the year, um, and as a matter of fact, one of the my favorite graphs on the speculative nature of Bitcoin in the past year is the superposition of Bitcoin's price increase on the Tulip Mania. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, Tulip Mania was. The fir- the, realistically the first case of a financial bubble we've ever seen in the history of markets and it was surrounded by tulips um, in the Netherlands I yep. Yep. Yeah. in the 17th century and um, it was the also the most drastic um, and you saw that Bitcoin basically the, was perfectly correlated to the tulip bubble uh, and, and just in the sense that the price increase was so unrealistic I mean, 
when you just think of it, how much value did Bitcoin add from? Because the the only way Bitcoin increases in value is the more it's generally accepted, the more people use it on the network, which mm-hmm. is essentially demand story. I mean, is it that much more usable from network effects? since the past year not really I mean you have a few companies that are starting to accept more Bitcoin but on a network basis not, not to justify not, not just, enough to justify that 1900% no way I mean and and I think you run into that like I say what in, in any market and like I say the tulip mania is is a, a great correlation because in, in any market that gets overtaken by speculators because what, what I think you tend to see in, in speculator-driven uh, bubbles is there is, numerically, by the number of people demanding something, there isn't that big of an increase. What it is, what it becomes is speculators selling to each other and, yeah. and creating this, this artificial upward cycle where... They're not in it because they want tulips. They're in it because the value of tulips is going up. So they buy tulips, and then they need to sell it to somebody. And they just so happen to not sell it to somebody who wants tulips, but who wants to speculate on tulips. So they sell it to that person at you know at a profit. Now that person has to turn around and make a profit off of what they sold. So they try to get the price higher and higher and wind up selling it to another speculator who's just trying to do the same thing. So... Again, if you were charting actual demand, not that many more people wanted tulips, but you create this artificially inflating demand that that it seems like it's there, but it's not. I mean, essentially, I think a good way to describe it, it's the big game of hot potato. Mm. And, you know, with all bubbles, eventually somebody gets burned. Yeah. Um, I I think that... uh, one of the things that that really started to scare me was about six seven months ago there was a wall street journal article about how midwestern average joe family of four or five parents were were investing in bitcoin to pay for their family pool in their backyard and then on top of that as i alluded to before the graph of buying bitcoin on credit cards drastically increased and if you look for the Google searches of will Bitcoin ever go down, it, it's, <laughs> it's be, I mean, yes, you can make a lot of money, but again, with the vol, I think it's the, by far the most volatile financial product. Well, and, and that's, that's one of those questions that I, I think Google should create a feature where when you ask a question like that, uh, the the search result is just a big white screen with in massive letters says yes of course it's going to go will it ever go down yes everything will eventually go down uh you know the the 2008 financial crisis was based around people asking the question will or well answering the question incorrectly will the real estate market ever lose value and everyone operated under this assumption that no it can't because there's such a thing as an investment that can't lose value and yeah it may have been gaining for months years decades but eventually anything you know the the laws of gravity eventually affect every investment 
And so, yeah, I think, you know, when you're talking about Bitcoin valuation, yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You're seeing this this speculator bubble that is driving driving it to levels of, of mania. And mm. I think the, the quote I saw that I, I forget who said it, but um, it was one of the, the uh, uh, they had said that Bitcoin is a lot like the uh, the tulip mania, except that in that, at least you still wound up with tulips. With Bitcoin, you basically have what an electronic signature yeah. in your wallet somewhere. Uh, it's uh, you know some lines of code somewhere <laughs> that are that suddenly went from paying for the extension on your house to you know barely being able to buy a pizza with it. Yeah. Um, which again, you know, goes into kind of that that volatility, uh, which you don't tend to see with currencies and exactly and i think just one last thing i'd like to touch on is that uh versus the when bitcoin was getting its price momentum it was on a completely retail basis Mm. because it didn't have the market capitalization to really get anybody outside of retail investors very interested but as it got more and more popular and hot, we saw that CME opened futures exchanges. (laughs) And is it a coincidence that right around the time that it became viable for big institutions to bet on Bitcoin that it had a drastic correction? Well, yeah, because what the Chicago Mercantile Exchange started doing Bitcoin futures in, what, December? Yeah. Just this last year? Mm Mm-hmm. Around December, and that opens... A lot, a much bigger door to financial speculation, at least <laughs> on the institutional side, because a, so, the the way futures markets work, at least on a, from a clearing perspective, is that let's say you have a big institutional investor, that's one of your clients that wants to short Bitcoin, well, you're gonna have to fulfill that order by going through the Bitcoin network and just dump sell, selling a lot of Bitcoin. Um, and, and then exchanging kind of that between the bulls and the bears mm. on your clearinghouse. But um, there's a lot more, but for every dollar that somebody's shorting, it's gonna have to be shorted by the clearinghouse in the actual network, which is gonna drastically affect the prices. <laughs> and uh, versus a retail investor who's placing $20,000, with futures exchanges, it's not that hard to get to billions. I mean, not maybe for like a higher end, like George Soros type billions, mm. but I mean, it's not unrealistic for a big trader to swing $10 million, $20 million bet. Yeah. And uh, that's that's gonna be able, that, that was able to cancel a lot of these retail positions that were probably the ones that got clobbered. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the dust has settled entirely, but think that again yeah as always history repeats itself and well and and let me say i think that to, to the average person out there who might be sitting around thinking hey this bitcoin you know investment opportunity seems to be you know accruing value they start seeing ironically they still see dollar signs in their eyes and not bitcoin <laughs> logos but uh of like you know i can pay for my kids college with this i'll buy you know really i mean depending on the price, I'll buy five Bitcoins and wait, you know, a, a year or two and they'll be worth 1900% more than what I paid for them. And, you know, my kid goes to Harvard, you know, on that. And that's fine, but, 
you know, the, the, I, I, as with any mania right now, or at least up until what, Wednesday night, uh, all the articles you would see on Google are Bitcoin will never lose value. Bitcoin is the new global currency. Bitcoin is, you know, perfect as an investment. And now after Wednesday night, all I see is articles about Bitcoin's over. Yeah. Bitcoin's done. And, and so understanding that there is actually quite a bit of volatility in the market, whether Bitcoin's actually done or if it's still a, a potentially viable investment going forward, uh, you know, we, we can have that debate. But before you put your money in Bitcoin, you should really understand that it's not just a, an upward moving line. It's, it's, it has a history of being quite volatile um, where... And, and again, losing, gaining a lot of value in a very short period of time, but losing a lot of value in just a short period of time. Because the, the, the loss in valuation, again, I think it was Wednesday night for us, but it was the results of things going on Thursday morning. Um, and we're recording this on the 21st. It's not going to yeah. drop for a few weeks. But uh, yeah, events happening in the Asian markets on Thursday morning. And uh, I know I was putting notes together for this episode and I get a little Google News alert and it's like Bitcoin has fallen off a cliff. And I'm like, well, that's conveniently timed. So one of the th- so I used to trade Bitcoin and got burned a little. Mm-hmm. But that was back in like 2014 because I was trying to apply like traditional technical analysis to Bitcoin but um, the the one thing that has still stayed that is traditional of any financial product is the way is the way the volatility works on the on Bitcoin and I remember one of the in most interesting things I learned um, from one of my trading professors was Volatility moves three times faster on the downside as opposed to the upside. <laughs> and uh, because, you know, when you look at human psychology, fear is a lot greater motivator than greed. Mm. I mean, it's a, it, the, the pain on an absolute value basis is a lot more of an inspiration than the ability to make. Because, you know, becoming rich is a nice improvement. But the status quo isn't terrible, whereas you could lose everything. Holy God, you know, I got to just run for the hills. Well, becoming completely broke is scarier than becoming rich is tempting. Yes. And is the upside or the possibility of becoming rich is incredibly volatile. How's the downside going to (laughs) look? And as we saw, it played out like any other financial correction that moved about. It's about around three times as fast, and it was clobbered. It well, was clobbered. well, like you said, and that was back in, you, know, you, you were talking about your investments back in 2014. Yeah. And I think this is something that got largely lost in the recent speculative mania, was like, this isn't the first time Bitcoin's fallen off a cliff. Nope. Because uh, what I've got, um, back in 20, uh, 2011, the yeah. value went from 30 cents for a Bitcoin to $32 and then down to $2 in the course of, I think, a day or two. Yeah. Uh, the next year, 2012, it's up to 266 for a Bitcoin and then down to $50. Uh, 
uh, November 2013, it goes up to uh, $1,242. Okay. And then down to under $600 by August of 2014. Mm-hmm. Like, it's volatile. It, it, it is entirely volatile. If you zoom out from the graph, sure, it's generally an upward line, but it's pretty jagged uh, in, in, its, in its upward general progression. And I think, I mean, obviously, yeah, you're absolutely on the mark, and it's a lot easier for people to justify going forward and it, to explain the past. I mean, a lot of my, a lot of people I know that have speculated in Bitcoin, they say, "Oh, this time's different because of its general acceptability and blah 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 blah." There's always going to be an excuse, but I mean, time and time again, there are market fundamentals that never fail. And one of them is that value is fundamental value always wins the day eventually. Yeah, I mean, again, bubbles are created, but bubbles are made to burst. Yes. And then hopefully you, 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 it's regression to the mean. And, and, It'll go back to its true value. And if you And Bitcoin was a great, in my opinion, first experiment. But if you just look at some of the underlying fundamentals like energy consumption and... Well, that, that because, uh, yeah, that's fascinating is, and yeah, let's, let's get into to that issue with Bitcoin because uh, I think that's one that doesn't get addressed enough uh, in the discussion about Bitcoin is... You know, we talked about the, the theoretical mathematical limitations, but this is a very practical limitation. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what is the issue with electrical usage? So, as we said, in, in the Bitcoin mining process, you need computational energy to verify these transactions. The way the algorithm is set up, it's one of the underlying assumptions of computational efficiency is dependent upon Moore's law. For those of you who don't know, for those of you who don't know what Moore's law is, it's a rule that computer power, computing power is exponential in nature when when it comes to research and development. So I think it's doubling, or it, the 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 theory is to double every four or eight years, mm. something like that. But regardless, the again, it's what's ex- going to eventually give us Skynet. Yes, and we see that computing power has not kept up with that law in the past ten or twenty years, mm. past ten years. Um, and that's caused an issue is, you know, um, computers rely on a certain amount of energy and because the network is getting more complex to verify, it's requiring exponentially more um, electrical output. And we see that as Bitcoin networks becoming very generally accepted and the speculative nature has caused a massive strain on transactions occurring. Mm. <laughs> um, we see that the Bitcoin network to just verify a has consumes more energy than countries in the world. Um, it's consume it consumes more energy than Ir- the country of Ireland in twenty other countries. Wow! And this is at an early stage of general acceptance when you think of it. And then on top of that. Um, that energy use is being put to a system that is has a ton of backlog right now because of all these transactions that are occurring the, the miners are not able to keep up 
Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the incentive to keep up is diminishing too. Because as it, as it gets halved, I'm getting fewer bitcoins. Yes. By by allowing you know it to to mine on my on my processor time, on electric on electricity, I'm essentially paying for. Yes. Um, and yeah, and like I said, I think that you know it it creates this this very firm potential limitation. And again, there's ways around it, but this idea that, like, going back to, again, is it a currency or a commodity? Because if it's a currency, then it needs to be as, it needs to be fluid. I need to be able to buy a pizza with it, uh, which people have done with Bitcoin. First recorded Bitcoin transaction was two Papa John's pizzas. I thought that was funny. Cost them, I think, ten thousand bitcoins at, at the time. But this is like in two thousand. Yeah, no, the the actual. I read an article about that at the the one of the, near near the peak, the Bitcoin mania. Those that those pieces would have been worth seventy million dollars today. <laughs> and, and maybe it's just pizza snobbery living in Chicago, but man, Papa John's is not that good. <laughs> it's not bad. Nothing against you, Papa, but you know. Pizza maybe not the garlic the garlic sauce yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give them that but uh, no so like um, you know so in order for me to make that transaction for me to transfer bitcoins to Papa John's to buy their pizzas that requires computational power which yeah. requires electricity so if everyone were using it in the same way I use my debit card or cash the exponential increase in those requirements becomes potentially very difficult yeah uh which which i I think at least for now um may put this artificial cap on how useful as a currency bitcoin can ever be because it it would seem with with the electrical limitations it can only become so prevalent and then it'll it starts creating brownouts and we've been seeing this issue occur also in the fact that with software upgrades, mm-hmm. um, it's been a big controversial debate among the people that are actually housing the network, and when nobody, when people don't generally, when when a minority of this the people on this network don't accept a software upgrade, it causes something called a fork, mm-hmm. and then it change it then it causes, uh bifurcation of the network into what we see as Bitcoin cash and then traditional Bitcoin. And so eventually it causes this really ugly issue of having a million types of Bitcoin. Um, because there's already, I think, three or four different types of Bitcoin because there's been two or three hard forks. Yeah. And um, Now that, that refusal to upgrade the software, I guess, is that is that being driven by not wanting to take the... 15 20 minutes it takes to update away from your mining operation or is, most, is there a different reason well it's mostly philosophical issues as to what the upgrades are going towards okay and um obviously a lot of the people on the network are specialists and a lot of them are very idealistic in <laughs> nature and it's caused this very controversial debate among bitcoin enthusiasts which part of that anyway uh which which i know in in doing my research for the episode i found really funny is uh, you know uh, nakamoto in in the white paper is is 
very critical of the concept of fractional reserve lending, which mm-hmm. is yeah. basically what the global monetary system is based on. Yeah. Uh, this is the, the, the same criticism we had talked about in our first Federal Reserve episode. This is what a lot of people have a problem with, with the U.S. monetary policy and the U.S. monetary system. Um, and Bitcoin was essentially created as, a, as an alternative to that. Except, isn't it really just fractional reserve lending? I mean, in, in, in the sense that you're creating this currency out of nothing... It has a value based on purely supply and demand. Uh, there, there, there's nothing you know really backing Bitcoin except uh, people's desire to own it. And I, how is that different than the dollar or the euro or any other currency? Yeah, I mean, I, I would be kind of in the same camp. I, I don't necessarily. I mean. Again, going to a more philosophical point, it's what's in the eyes of the beholder, you know. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter if it's gold. It doesn't matter if it's if it's um, a watch or it doesn't matter if it's shiny. At the end of the day, the value is, for most things that are not necessities, are dependent upon how much value we think they are. Mm. And, and right there, I think you just blew most people's minds out there. And it, it just then becomes a function of, well, on an opinion basis, what's the most valuable thing? Mm. And, you know, there, there might be some outside points that say, well, you know, this might be more beneficial because of X, Y, or Z. Um, realistically, you, I mean, fractional reserve banking has benefits and side effects, but um, I just like the whole economist idea of if there wouldn't be a twenty dollar bill on the side of the street because if there was somebody would have picked it up already. Mm-hmm. I mean, fractional reserve banking has we we went from one monetary system to the other. I mean, there, there's general exceptions for a reason. Yeah. There are definite points of benefits, and um, I'm of the opinion well. If you disagree, that's great. Just go on Bitcoin and, you know, maybe there could be a Hayek kind of utopian thing where you have currencies compete yeah. and let the free market the, decide. The, the better, more more stable currency wins. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I think, you know, with some of Bitcoin's limitations, because that's, that's one of the other kind of key points, I guess, if, we're, if, we're, if we've got the tally up of, again, is it a currency or a commodity? One of the big points against Bitcoin on being a, a true currency is that artificial 21 million limitation. And that having that supply limit, you're almost always going to be experiencing deflation yeah. in that Bitcoin just left to its own device. If I leave it in my wallet, it will generally, over the long run, accrue value. Uh, so why would I spend it? Like... It's a thing we had discussed again in in previous episodes where, yeah, uh, the um, you know previous episodes discussing like inflation is inflation is is critical you know a mild but steady inflation is incredible is critical to the U.S. dollar because having it 
lose a little bit of value every day, every year, encourages us to spend it. Because holding it in your mattress, you're just going to be losing value. You, you might as well go out and buy a car with it. You might as well go out and buy a Starbucks coffee with it. Because it's never going to be more valuable. With Bitcoin, where, again, it starts to resemble a commodity, is this idea of, well, if I just hold it in my wallet, my digital wallet, and wait, I can sell it later for much more than I paid for it. Uh, whereas typically, and you know, there are exceptions, but you don't see that with currencies. That that smells like a commodity. Yeah. And you can look in the 19th century, and that was one of the major impetuses. I mean, there was a lot of deflationary pressure at certain points mm -hmm. on the dollar, and it, it did kind of lead to Bretton Woods, which yep. was, you know, the when, when most of the when the U.S. basically went on a non-gold bank system. Um, and I think that there, there could be a downside in the sense that, well, if you want to really talk about deflationary pressure, eventually that, like... A lot of monetarists would argue that, that there's a feedback loop there mm. and that it, it, it essentially like it's a never-ending cycle because the more, the more that you want to save, the more you do save, the more deflationary pressure to cause, which turns into that whole feedback cycle. Um, however, I kind of disagree on a sl slight note that um, if you look at the way thing, the way we spend our money, it all depends on opportunity costs. Mm -hmm. And eventually, um, there there's a pool of investments that that are basically out there, and each of them has a weighted average cost of capital or an amount of return you could expect from their investment. Uh, eventually, it gets to the point to where deflationary pressure, um, pressure becomes become so great that these that it would cut out a lot of the stupid investments and lead to, like where, there's these like very core select investment pools that generate such a high return that they'd be irresistible just mm -hmm. by supply and demand metrics when it comes to like money and where we're putting it, whereas if we're going to be putting it in a mattress versus investing it. So there are arguments against it, but again, like realistically, I, I, it's, it is like the $20 would be there. It's a, yeah. like that argument. So I, it, it's, it's very much, very much a kind of close case. Well, again, it, it, it does then, you know, on the other side of that, you, you look at this recent, you know, collapse in value of Bitcoin and go, well, is that the end of Bitcoin? Or are what we're seeing is a market contraction that will lead to stability. It, you know, again, it's volatile because no one can figure out. You've got too many people treating it like a commodity for it to, to act like a currency. But once those people lost their shirts or you know got out just in time, they probably don't want to come back. And so there's the possibility that the market for that, for Bitcoin as a currency as a medium of exchange rather than an investment opportunity 
stabilizes. And yeah, it's not, it won't gain 1900% value over time anymore, but it'll go on to a nice steady rate and be useful, again, as a currency rather than the commodity. And I also think, uh, well, I would disagree in just the sense that from the energy consumption standpoint and just the fact that some of the underlying assumptions aren't going to be working out with Bitcoin mm. in the future, that Bitcoin is most likely going to die. But I think that the ICO the ICO impetus mm. or the fact that people are creating, like, peop, I don't think we touched on that in depth, but an ICO is an initial coin offering, and it's very related to an IPO, which is initial public offering, where basically a company gives out stock in exchange for cash. Same thing, except that instead of the stock, it's cryptocurrency. Yeah. And I think that that's probably going to be the direction of the, of the cryptocurrency market. And then on top of that, maybe other more, just a, a pool of specialized cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, Monero, blah, 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 blah that have its own special purpose and are just very they're serving niche markets mm. where probably the predominant amount of currency transactions will probably be staying with main currency markets yeah. and so I well, mean, and then you get around to be, because yeah a, a cryptocurrency can be generated by pretty much anyone I mean not really anyone. You need some pretty serious computer uh, programming yeah. skills to do it. But theoretically, uh, a random computer uh, programmer could create their own cryptocurrency, could distribute it to the market, could get it to, to become prevalent. I think then the next phase of, again, not, I, I guess to say the next phase of concern becomes legal issues. Uh, because to date, uh, for the most part, most of the the most countries around the world have just kind of let Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies exist and not really paid them much money. But I know at least uh, like the the cause of the recent you know crash seems to be anyway. Uh, what was it? South Korea has. South Korea has looked into halting Bitcoin mining, whereas China, uh, Bitcoin transactions and mining, whereas China has stopped Bitcoin transactions, and they are looking into halting Bitcoin mining, and most of the Bitcoin mining on the network occurs in China, Mm. where energy is the cheapest, cheap, dirty coal. But, and, and, you know, that kind of goes to, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, so, so Bitcoin can never, nobody can really shut down Bitcoin because no. it exists out out in the ether. Yes, you can. But what what countries could do is they could ban it, they could criminalize it. Yes. Is I can't stop you from owning Bitcoins, but if you try to buy something with Bitcoin, you're under arrest. Well, I mean, even owning Bitcoin would be considered illegal mm. um, because you know, like, I mean, it can be like just like a controlled substance or something. But uh, realistically. Um, Realistically, it you due to the anonymity, <laughs> it uh, it will all it will there will always be that kind of group of people that you really can't take it away from yeah. in essence, and you'd have to be able to find out the the name and address of an owner of this randomly generated account, 
which again, thanks to the security protocols within Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, is incredibly hard to do. Yes. And so, but, you know, on the enforcement side, if, you know, with uh, China banning the use of Bitcoin, what they're on a practical level doing is, like I said, they can't ban Bitcoin. But they're severely inhibiting network effects. Yeah. And And on top of that, um, one of the most, one of the other, on the other side of the fence, one of the things that caused the Bitcoin run-up was the idea that Japan was basically, the biggest news story on the run-up was that Japan was basically accepting Bitcoin as a legitimate currency. Mm. And on top of that, Russia did too. Mm. Um, As a matter of fact, there was an insane chart that I saw the other day. I mean, I can send you the charts if you want. Anyway. Absolutely. Um, but Bitcoin is uh, the the market cap of Bitcoin in Russia is worth like six percent of its current GDP. Like the speculative Jesus. gains of Bitcoin are attributable six percent of Russia's GDP. And, and, you know, for, for anyone out there listening who heard 6% and says, well, that's nothing. We're talking about, when, when you're talking this about 6, of Russia. Yeah, 6% of a, of a GDP, you're talking, again, un, just unfathomable amounts of money. Yeah. Uh, even 6% is a lot. Uh, and, again, and, and so, yeah, you see that acceptance, but it, it clearly we're still in the process of, of government. And 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 uh, elements that could, you know control monetary policy still really trying to figure out what the hell is a cryptocurrency and what and how the hell it do with yeah it. what does it do how does it affect the the markets for our own currency and again the the kind of where you fall on whether it's a currency or a commodity may or may not wind up affecting legal ramifications because I know. Again, sorry to all my international listeners, but I live in the U.S., so most of my examples tend to be U.S.-centric. Yeah, sorry. Uh, But for the U.S., there are a few potential legal hurdles that that could be thrown up if the government decided to. Right now, it just really seems like uh, the government's deciding to not make a, a do about Bitcoin, but kind of at a moment's notice, somebody over at the Justice Department or Congress or the you know anywhere in the executive branch could go, hey, this is kind of in violation of, and like you've got straight from the Constitution, Article One, Subsection Eight says Congress will have the power to coin money, regulate the value thereof, uh, and of foreign coin, which in subsequent Supreme Court rulings has generally been accepted as only Congress can can coin money. Uh, Congress has exclusive power to to create currency and competing currencies are generally looked at as illegal. And you see a lot of this, some of the cases are fascinating and they're all from like the mid 1860s, mainly in response to the, the Confederacy Printing their own money, and and the U.S. the 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 Union creating laws to ban the use of competing currencies to, to prevent Confederate dollars being accepted on the Union side, and so you get you wind up with things like the Stamp Payment Act of 1862, which prohibits making, issuing, circulating, or paying out any note uh, used in lieu of lawful money of the U.S. 
um, the Legal Tender Act of 1862, any of these could be invoked against Bitcoin if the U.S. government felt like it. Yes, and then and that's on the currency side. And on the commodity side, I because I'm not as familiar with the currency laws, but on the commodity side, I know that it's a lot weedier in mm-hmm. the sense that uh, it's a lot more vague because a lot of these financial rules are oversaw are overseen by the um, predominantly for a commodity it would be the CFTC mm-hmm. or the SEC, and we've seen that there's been a lot of legal wrangling. Mm-hmm. One of the and one of the bigger promoters of Bitcoin on like a celebrity level are the Winklevoss twins, Aye. who were you know the people that were involved with Facebook early on, or you know not depending yeah, or, on who you want to believe. Yeah, depending on who you want to believe, and then they're really big into Bitcoin now, and they yeah, I think sh- at one point they claimed to own one percent of all Bitcoins, <laughs> something like that, and they were trying to promote it by going to the SEC. And getting uh, ETF, a Bitcoin-based ETF set up, and they were denied. And however, the CFTC allowed Bitcoin futures, so it's a lot of legal wrangling, and um, it's a lot more vague and hazy. But there's a lot, probably a lot less of, of an ability for the government to stop it on a commodity level. Yeah, well, and and, and so then you you look at just you know. Right now, Bitcoin gets a lot of press, especially in financial markets, but it doesn't seem to have really had any adverse effects on you know the dollar as a currency, on really any of the, the uh, government-backed currencies in the world. Uh, so, I, I mean, for now, it seems like most governments are more than happy to just, you know, table the issue, to just punt on it for now. Yeah. And let the next guy figure it out when it becomes a problem, if it ever does. Um, and, but uh, you know, we we had been talking before the show. I think the, if if anything's going to serve as the impetus for governments really cracking down, I mean, one I, the the electrical usage because yeah, as soon as Bitcoin, you know, me buying two pizzas causes a mild brownout in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> The government's going to start to care and be like, "Well, wait a minute, you know, is this co- is, is this detrimental to to life?" Um, the other thing, of course, being the uh, you can't really say how much, but the suspected preponderance of criminal activity that uses Bitcoin, because Bitcoin just as a concept, a cryptocurrency in general is a boon if you are trying to anonymously transfer large amounts of money uh, with almost no oversight. Um, and and what, I've, what I've seen anyway has all been anecdotal and speculative because, again, there's only so much you can really know about who's receiving what from a Bitcoin transaction. But... There, there seems to be an increasing number of stories where uh, the Bitcoin is suspected to have been used by, again, the, the uh, South American drug cartels, uh, you know, domestic, you know, criminal organizations. Uh, I mean, to me, that would, if, if, if a big enough story broke about Bitcoin being used in the commission of a crime, 
uh, of a crime within the U.S. or you know any European country, that's going to be the thing that gets the government and the regulators to to really put the microscope on this. And you know that has always been, I guess, the main concern because, I mean. There has been one case of the Silk Road mm. where there were some people in the U.S. that were running the Silk Road, and um, a lot of the transactions in the network were Bitcoin related, or virtually all of them. Mm. And you know that obviously is a pretty big thing because they were selling hard drugs on the Silk Road, and it it, it did cause kind of an initial terrible first impression. And realistically, that's there's always going to be a subsection of the cryptocurrency market that's going to be criminal in nature. Yeah. I mean, it's unavoidable. Um, and yeah, I, I think that probably a lot of it's going to be going to Monero. Mm. And that's one of the newest cryptocurrencies, as I was saying before. And um, so probably a lot of these other cryptocurrencies will not be as criminal related, but... Still, um, there's so much encryption baked into the underlying technology that it's, you know, um, that it's, I guess, very hard to track. And, you know, on, I think that Bitcoin is starting to get a little bit of a better rap because of the fact that oh, there's been a lot of software development mm-hmm. from, from a lot of different companies that are able to track where money's moving on the Bitcoin network. So if you think about it, Bitcoin can store wealth for like let's let's say the South American drug one of the South American drug cartels is using Bitcoin. They need a certain amount of dollars to run their operations. Mm. Um, eventually, so you can do a lot of international money transfers on Bitcoin, but eventually that will have to go to a different currency to like let's say pay off the police officer to let your truck go through the the, the bridge. Yeah. Um, and when you make that transaction from Bitcoin to another traditional currency, that's when you can kind of get pinged. Okay. Because, I mean, nobody knows, like, what, because of the unique serial number, nobody, no, people can tell how much Bitcoin a certain wallet has mm-hmm. and where it's transacting, but... Um, so, so you can kind of build out the chain and get a good idea, and when you do change to that traditional currency, then it will become kind of like a timer, you know, like how, like can you track it on that end and that it it it's gotten to the point where it's gotten versus historically speaking. Um, it's gotten a lot harder in the sense that now that there's a lot more tension mm. on trying to figure it out, there are possible ways to, to, to look at the money flows. To forensically go back yes. and figure out. Huh? Yeah, and I think you can even look at some sites and you can like, there's some sites out there that they like if you put in a wallet address. Mm. Like they can tell you like where the money's been flowing to and from, if throughout the wallet and where it's been going to. Well, and, and, and actually then that, that goes against you know, governmental criminalization of it, and in that, if it, it, in that case, it's almost ideal for um, you know uh, the criminal justice system in that it's a uh, medium of exchange that criminals think is more secure than it really is. 
So yes, it can be tracked, but they don't think it can be tracked. So this is awesome. Yeah. Let's keep it going because it's making our jobs easier. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah. So I guess uh, any any other key points you think we uh, we haven't hit on? We've I think covered a substantial amount. Yeah. Um, if you have anything else, I'd love to. Yeah, I mean I'm through all my notes, but okay. so generally speaking, um, yeah. With with the the recent crash. Uh, I, I know we've kind of touched on this throughout the episode, but where do you see Bitcoin in, in the coming years? Uh, going away entirely, being around, but being you know more... I, I so there's probably going to... I think on a, on a long-term kind of basis, I, I don't... I, I see Bitcoin eventually dying out mm-hmm. for the... Un, for the underlying issues of the assumptions that the currency is based off of initially, the I see the cryptocurrency market obviously staying yeah. for the long term. I think that in the short run, Bitcoin is um, here to stay for at least a few years on a why on a general level because I think that a lot of individuals have integrated it. Um, into the financial system, like we have, a f- we, CME has futures contracts. Yeah. On it. Um, well, and I think there uh, there's a bank in Boston that's now accepting transactions in Bitcoin. Like, yeah, and on top of that, you have Bitcoin ATMs. Like, I know there's like there's tons of Bitcoin ATMs across the world. Like, there's even I think from because you can Google it, and I think there's like twenty Bitcoin ATMs in Chicago alone. Oh wow! So or more, and I mean, because of the infrastructure, it's still obviously going to be used a little, but uh, how long it is, I'm very, very skeptical as mm. to 10 years plus, that would be starting to when I think it should eventually be going away in exchange mm. for more efficient cryptocurrencies that are based off assumptions that are more reasonable given the current market dynamics or our current current technological aspects of our society. Yeah. Well, and, and, and yeah, I think, I, I mean, I agree entirely, is Bitcoin may live or die. We'll see. You know, it, it may go through more bubbles. It may not. It, this may really be the end of it. But, you know, the cryptocurrency idea, I think, is unstoppable. Oh. And, you know, we're going to potentially, in, you know, in our lifetimes, hit a point where either, again, there's a, a, ma- a negative reaction to the the rising of cryptocurrencies and people you know governments try to to shut this idea down which it's for lack of better words well governments have never really any government has never been really that successful at again putting the genie back in the bottle so then you know the other alternative is you know we're, we're just going to live in a world where there are cryptocurrencies and some of them will be used for good things and some of them will be used for bad things and you know it, the, the same as any actual currency uh, US dollars are used for a lot of great things yeah, used for a lot of terrible things too and we just kind of have to live with that dynamic and, and so I, I think there's certainly a great potential for for all the good things that a cryptocurrency can do, uh, great potential for investment because I'm sure you know the next bubble will be forming around Bitcash or Bitgold or Ripple or 
any of the other cur- uh, currencies and people will become billionaires people will lose all their money it's pretty much the same as any investment yep. um, um, so of course as per usual the answer is I guess it depends it always does and uh, <laughs> yeah I guess closing notes um, just before I know that a lot of people say that, I guess for financial investing purposes, that Bitcoin is uncorrelated to traditional financial products. And that implies a general amount of diversification that's beneficial to a portfolio. Mm. And I kind of forgot that until now. And I would disagree with that just primarily because of the fact that Bitcoin has been controlled by rampant speculation to date. (laughs) And there's been like a few too many run-ups before you see like there hasn't been really it's either been no activity or irrational activity there's never been really a l- very long run prolonged activity of rational bitcoin of yeah. rational bitcoin investing um unlike you know stocks where you know yeah there are bubbles but but well but generally we know what stable looks like yes. we know what a reasonable rate of return on any stock investment is because mm-hmm. There's been enough time for us to go. Okay, well, that that spike, that's that's an outlier. That drop, that's an outlier, and and, and we've got the regression line. Yeah, we know what it is. I th- yeah, with Bitcoin, I think you're right. We don't really have as much of it. What that you know median is, and okay, well, what what is a, a stable increase in the value of a Bitcoin? Like, I don't know. Again, we're talking about an average that you have to throw in at one point nineteen hundred percent increases <laughs> and you know just as steep decreases into like we we haven't been looking at this long enough to really say okay well a bitcoin or any cryptocurrency should probably be accruing value at about seven percent every you know year or whatever it winds up being yeah um and so yeah, I know personally, I don't touch Bitcoin. Uh, one, because uh, I follow, I very much follow the Warren Buffett rule. <laughs> I don't fully understand Bitcoin. Even after this conversation, there's still stuff I'm like, okay, well, where is this all going? But I don't fully understand it, so I'm not going to put my money in it. Uh, the other, you know, big concern is not not even so much how quickly it can devalue, because um, that's really anything. Yeah. The stock market could crash at that rate too. Yeah, but, you know there are protections in place that should prevent that, but not necessarily. We've seen it happen before. Um, but like the, just the the sheer idea that again, if uh, the U.S. Justice Department or the SEC uh, woke up tomorrow and and just had a, a bone to pick with Bitcoin, they could essentially eliminate the value of my investment overnight with the stroke of a pen. That's all it takes. Uh, again, going back to the, the tulip mania thing, if that had happened there, at least I still have tulips. Yeah, I, I would have something to, you know, if I'm investing in literally anything else, if I'm investing in a stock and the company goes under, I might get paid out from liquidation of the company, yes. like from them selling the office furniture. I might get something back. There's something physical there and maybe I'm just too conservative of, of an investor, but the 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 thing that makes me nervous about Bitcoin is there's nothing there. It's yeah. just a string of code, and I can't bag on that because I often defend a um, 
U.S. monetary system that has no backing <laughs> except for the full faith and credit of the government. And so I can't say that Bitcoin is wrong for not having anything physical there, uh, but it certainly makes me nervous. Uh, I know investing in, you know, whether it's dollars themselves or treasury bills, I always comfort myself knowing that, yes, with the monetary system, the dollar could just completely collapse. It's possible. Uh, not very likely, and there are controls in place, but it's possible. But the thing is, if the U.S. dollar ever completely fell off a cliff, I would have much bigger problems yes. than my retirement fund uh, being zeroed out. Like yeah. we're talking, we're talking Thunderdome at that point. Yeah. I, you know, the new currency will be gasoline <laughs> and human lives. So, like at that point, who cares? Oh, oh shoot! My my T bills aren't worth anything. I'm fighting to stay alive in a post apocalyptic future. So, uh, so yeah, I know uh, Bitcoin. I, I've never touched it. Uh, you're a braver man than I am, <laughs> and a smarter one because uh, again, you, you you got in, you got out. I mean, I, and you know, uh, I I also look at things on an expected value basis. Mm. Um, yeah, right now I actually have some money on VIX calls right now, mm. which I maybe you can talk about in another podcast. But uh, yeah, um, it all it all depends on probabilities, and you're right. Probability of the U.S. financial market collapsing or financial system underlying system collapsing is substantially less yeah. than no matter how hard some people out there seem to be trying. <laughs> Uh, we'll do an episode at one point on 2008, the, the entire crisis surrounding that. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it, the probability is low. And, again, even if it did happen, uh, you know, it's, uh, the, the, w once that happens, the... Three-month treasury bills are modeled as a risk-free rate of return yeah. for a reason. Yeah. So, all right, then. Well, right. thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for explaining Bitcoin. Uh Hopefully, uh, the listeners out there have a little better gauge of, of what it is. Uh, I know you had recommended uh, somebody uh, for doing a more advanced level discussion, and if, if yeah. uh, the people out there want to, we'll certainly uh, work to arrange that. Definitely. Uh, and then, of course, if you've ever got any other topics uh, you want to cover and, and explain uh, out to the audience, you're more than welcome to come back on. Sounds great. All right, everybody. That's been... Uh, this has been okay. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Uh, be sure to uh, uh, join us on the Facebook group and uh, leave a comment or a recommendation for a future episode. If you want to shout at me in all caps about Bitcoin being a perfect investment, feel free. I mean, I'm going to ignore you, but that's <laughs> not nah, nah, uh You can also hit us up, uh, uh, contact me directly through the uh, podcast email account. It's okay, let me tell you why you're wrong at gmail.com. Uh, all one word, no punctuation, no comma, no apostrophe. Um, with that, I'm Dave Yost, and this has been okay. Let me tell you why you're wrong.